Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. This is a really good episode. You're going to enjoy it from beginning to end. I had the pleasure of talking to Hannah and Kelty of Upbringing. Hannah and Kelty are twins, coaches, and speakers behind the parenting movement Upbringing. They are certified in simplicity parenting, positive discipline, and trained in foundations of the respectful parenting approach, RI. Upbringing empowers parents in over 100 countries to show up and grow up alongside their kids when it comes to daily discipline. Hannah and Kelty's top-rated podcast, Q&A videos, and research-informed guides call parents in with humor and honesty, giving them permission to align their personal values with their parenting practices in the name of sanity and social change. Amen for that. Hannah and Kelty co-parent on an organic veggie farm outside Portland, Oregon, that they share with their partners and kids ages five to eight. We had a really great conversation talking about parenting challenges when it comes to practicing consent, but how their particular framework and nitty gritty get down and dirty into parenting with their framework is a wonderful way to solve those problems that may come up when you start practicing consent so that you can prevent abuse more effectively. And I want to also clarify that when I have this conversation and I talk about abuse prevention, I'm talking about reducing the risk. We cannot ultimately completely prevent abuse, although we can reduce it greatly by 90% through the practices, the education, and the everyday consent practices. And that's why I think it's so powerful the work that Hannah and Kelty are doing because they can help you really establish that foundation of consent practices that is necessary for more effective abuse prevention. So without further ado, here's my interview with the amazing Hannah and Kelty of Upbringing. First of all, I'm really thrilled to be talking to you, Hannah and Kelty, because you, I think, you're kind of like a little bit of my heroes. And I don't know if you both know that. I'm not fangirling enough on Instagram just because mom life is so busy, but I really admire the work that you're doing. And I'm so excited that you're here to talk about how your work intersects with my work and how it can really help us uh, create this generation of, of children that become amazing adults in the world that create consent culture and rape culture create social justice, all the good things. So thank you so much both for taking the time to be here, especially as busy moms. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We're huge fans of yours as well and are just so grateful to be here chatting with you and learning from you and um, connecting with your community a little bit. Thank you. Yeah. So I mean, I don't even, I have so many questions and, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know where to start because uh, I think right before we started, you talked about how parents really love these ideas of wanting to be respectful. I mean, you come from those foundations of respectful parenting and positive discipline and all those things. And, and then parents approach my work and they're like, yes, this sounds great. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, creating consent culture in my home and I'm teaching abuse prevention. And how do I practice that? <laughs> and that's, you know, getting into those day-to-day nitty-gritty um you know, actionable pieces in parenting, I think is where a lot of parents get tripped up. They want to do the right thing. And then, um, you know, they, they see the importance of it all and then they get stuck it because kids are kids and we didn't really get raised. Most of us didn't get raised in this way. I know for sure I didn't, it was very authoritarian, authoritarian parenting um, and so this is very new for a lot of us. And that's what I really love and appreciate about your work is not only do you come from this approach, but you also have um, 
a, a model, you have systems, you have a framework. And I would love for uh, those who don't aren't familiar with your work yet, if you can talk a bit about um, you know, who you are, how you got started, and, and what led you to this approach. Did you grow up this way? Um, you know, because you guys seem to do it so flawlessly. And I listen to your, you know, Instagram lives and your in your podcast and your work, and it just all fits so beautifully together. How did you all get started with this? Mm, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for those kind words and, and that like lovingly made lead up for us. <laughs> I don't even know where to start necessarily, but um, I think everything began when Kelty and I had kids. And I also wanted to apologize if we hear like some machine sounds, our neighbors are um, trimming their oak tree next door. So if you're okay. pretty things, um, stay tuned. Hopefully mm -hmm. it, it will end soon. But um, gosh, should we start with our childhood? I mean, we were only twins. So we, um, we were raised um, by our mom and dad and no siblings. And we had a lovely childhood that we're very grateful for. Um, but I think there were, you know, everyone does the best they can um, with the skills they have and the experiences that they're bringing into it and the culture that they're parenting in. And so when we had kids uh, eight years ago now, we have four um, kids. My daughter's eight, Kelty's daughter's seven. My son is almost six and her son is five. So we had, I think, four kids in two and a half years. Mm. Um, we started realizing that... Um, gosh, the, the instinctual parenting that kind of like automatically came to mind, especially around our kids' resistance, didn't really um, align and, and actually was kind of like uh, misaligned ultimately with our, our more kind of cognitive processes and progressive values that we had. So when our kids would resist us and say, no, I don't want to do that or leave me alone or absolutely not, or they'd ignore us, right? We would feel like, wait, I, as a parent, I'm supposed to say my way or the highway. I'm supposed to say, well, do what I say. I'm the parent. I'm the one responsible. I'm the one um, who's in charge here. But then when we, how do you actually make that happen? When we would make that happen, it didn't feel good. And I think so much about that was because we, it kind of triggered in us a moment when we were kids saying, wow, I remember this. I remember this as a child. And now I'm here in this parenting position with more privilege and power. How do I reconcile those two things when I know mm -hmm. what my child may be experiencing in this moment? But I also know how I'm feeling as the parent who has to get shit done, right? Right. Yeah. I think too, uh, when my two kids came who were very fierce, very spirited, uh, very strong-willed, very sensitive, um, I think that kind of kicked off our our intensive personal growth journeys in a really huge way where we started reading a lot more, taking some parent trainings, realizing, okay, it's okay to question ourselves a little bit, not necessarily doubt our skills as parents, but question, is this the right way? Is this a healthy way? Does this feel good to me? Is this ultimately beneficial for my, for my kid? And I think that it really was, um, our kids sparks, our kids resistance, <laughs> our kids um, ferocity that made us question ourselves in a really great way and kind of set us on this on this journey of then supporting other parents with their challenging kids. Um, and I don't even like to say challenging kids. It's really just kids being kids that challenge our skills and our traumas and our upbringings, right? Mm -hmm. I think right. we started realizing too that like conventional parenting is essentially abuse promotion. <laughs> it's not abuse yeah. prevention. And we started realizing that all these other ways of parenting that are now backed in research, um, but still not widely used and widely known about are through nonviolent communication, right? Through mindfulness, through all these other ways mm -hmm. um, are actually what is going to lead them to um, to not experience or promote abuse as older adults. Right. And so then right. we started realizing, oh my gosh, this can start so early. Wow. Right. This isn't just when they're teenagers, we start talking about it when they're dating. Um, we can actually be, be supporting them and growing up alongside them from like the earliest time with our babies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, and that's a, a wonderful journey. I think we, we are similar in that way because with my child, when my oldest, who's now 10, was about four at the time, um, I felt like I was hitting my head against the wall with like, I was repeating patterns that my mother unintentionally had repeated, you know, and I didn't want to keep doing that. I didn't want to yell and I didn't want to get so frustrated. And I was like, how do I get cooperation as I was also embarking on this journey of abuse prevention and recognizing similar to you that 
you know, this is almost like par uh, trauma parenting. You know, you're, you're parenting from this place of trauma and having the ability to have some self-awareness, which I think is also a big part of parenting is, you know, like you said, questioning our parents. To me, I look at it as self-awareness, you know, and, and, and helping to develop that in our children too, um, by the way that we do it and understanding then privilege and power and all of these sort of dynamics came into play. And as I was learning about abuse prevention, I recognized that uh, consent was a huge piece of how abuse prevention can actually become effective. And to your point about, you know, these, um, you know, parenting approaches of respectful parenting and positive discipline, um, I think, you know, it, it, it essentially is what consent is about, right? Consent is this, this permission-based communication that talks about um, respecting each other's rights and bodies. And how do we do that? Like you said, when you got to get shit done as a parent. Um, and so this is where your work, I think, is, is just so wonderful because it gives parents those tools and those perspectives that help them have a path forward. Um, so I really love what you're doing. And I love that you, I'm so glad that it brought you to wanting to help other parents because Lord knows we all need it. <laughs> we are um, sometimes bombarded with all of this, you know, like I think a lot of guilt and you, you do a really wonderful job of removing that when you talk about this and saying, you know, we're, we're all human and we're all trying to find our way forward. And we want to, you know, in the name of sanity and social change, how can we uh, how can we do this in a, in a positive way that really helps our kids have the freedom of self-expression? Because I think if we look at it in retrospect, most adults are trying to find themselves because they weren't given the freedom to express themselves when they were growing up. And all of these pressures of society to conform and not be given that freedom to express, I think stifles all of us. And I think this is part of why we are where we are today. Um, so the work you're doing is, is tremendously powerful for social change and mental health, you know? So, okay, I, I, I feel like I'm gushing on you guys, but I really wanna get into some of the nitty gritty that um, I think this is why you have such a great community and following um, because parents are getting some of those, um, you know, tools, like I said. So talk to me about some of the things that you have, these, these tools that you have in place to help parents understand how to interact and engage with their kids respectfully, um, using consent-based uh, formulas in a way, you know, like your freedoms model, for example. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think that as we as we began kind of navigating our our kids' resistance early on, maybe when they were around eighteen months, two with my kids, it, it showed up around a year old, mm -hmm. um, and they had really sensitive nervous systems, and they resisted things, and they were very straightforward about their needs and their preferences, and they were incredibly particular um, from the get go, um, and so I think that really helped us sort of navigate th these questions of when am I overstepping? What are they needing? What am I needing? okay, how can I get, get purchase on this? Where are these moments where the resistance is cropping up? What is it telling me about what, what their experiences um, or what my expectations are versus what their needs are? All these questions became swirling. And I think our freedoms model can kind of sprang from that where we started thinking, what are these realms of our kids' lives that of course, ultimately belong to them? And how can we be sensitively navigating those as parents with obviously the, the burden of responsibility on keeping our kids safe, fed, relatively clean, um, <laughs> you know, um, all the resources they need, you know, that responsibility we have, but how can we do it in a way that's not going to be bringing shame into the picture? How can we mm -hmm. do it in a way that's based in consent? How can we do it in a way that scaffolding skill building along the way so that those are, those are responsibilities that they're going to be taking on maybe sooner that are ultimately going to be theirs. And how can we work with, instead of do two, how can it be a collaborative um, situation as opposed to a coercive situation, which is something that 
we found ourselves in quite often as the, as the parents of four mm -hmm. toddlers. Yeah. Reenacting mm -hmm. that automatic hierarchy. You know, I think when we realized, oh my gosh, our home is the first institution that our kids experience. And it, do we want it to be like all of these other institutions that we think uh, and imagine and read about it can be very harmful to our kids? Or do we want to create an institution that's less hierarchical, top down and more democratic, human to human, right? And so that's what these freedoms kind of are, are meant to kind of just uh, open up for us. So let's, I, I always forget all of them, but there are 10, there are 10 of them and there you can download them on our website at upbringing.co, but I'll see if I can remember them. There's uh, the freedom to play, to nourish, to express, to feel, to contribute, to struggle, to learn, to speak and to move and to move. Okay. There mm. it is. Okay. I think that those are the 10. And <laughs> yeah. I think that so often, um, we, we realize, oh my gosh, I mean, when consent is such a huge word and it's kind of a buzzword, but when we think about it, conventional parenting in all of these areas is very anti-consent. So for example, mm. in the freedom to play, we are so um, coached naturally to say, tell your kid what to play with and how to play with it. Put your kid up on the climbing structures, tell them what to be interested in or what class to take or whatever it is. Um, you know, the freedom to nourish We're we're so easily persuaded to tell them what to eat, how much to eat, right. Regardless of their hunger or their satiety, their taste, their aversion, right. You know, mm -hmm. the freedom to express, we tell them wear this, don't wear that you know, you're hot, you're cold, regardless of their own sensory needs and preferences, you know, mm -hmm. or this is yeah. your gender, or this is yeah. your gender, right? Exactly. And I could feel very anti-consent to a child that's like, uh, I don't feel that, right? right. Um, but it, we keep going, we tell them to clean up and the freedom to contribute. We're like, you clean this up or else, or I'll take this away, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, that's just regarding their, you know, their willingness, their energy level, the timing, all of these things, we're, we're forcing them to do so many things from learning to contributing to speaking. Half the time, we don't even tell them where they're going or why, or what we're right. doing to their bodies or why, right? It, it's kind of insane when you put the, the consent goggles on and look right. at your day-to-day -day experiences with kids. And I, I mean, there's so many incredible ways to, to teach kids about consent more explicitly, right? Um, but, but, but I think that especially for younger kids, it can get a little bit abstract or feel a little theoretical. And so th the reason Kelty and I love these freedoms is that it really grounds these practices in reality. And it says kids can learn incredibly well through implicit um, learning and through the mm -hmm. parent-child relationship, which when we think about how many interactions a day, our kids um, are learning about consent from the morning time when they wake up and it's getting dressed, it's toothbrushing, it's breakfast time, it's backpacks, it's coats, it's going to school, it's, you know, doing things at school, it's coming home, it's homework, it's brushing teeth, it's setting the table. Think of all of these things that these demands that we're putting on them essentially. Um, and are our kids getting the, having the agency, the information, the timing, the, the choice essentially to say, do I want to do this right now at all in this way? Right. It's kind yeah. of a little bit of a bomb. I think for folks that we work with, they're like, oh my gosh, this is a yeah, lot, but, but that's, that's my job as a parent. Right. Right. Well, and that's the opportunity yeah. too. we may be, you know, coercing and oppressing our children slightly throughout the day, mm -hmm. um, every 10 minutes, maybe, but that also means we have all of these opportunities to, to change it up because it's never too late, uh, to be approaching yeah. situations a little differently. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I'm, I'm glad you got into all those examples, because I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about when parents start working with me is that we have to really shift our parenting. It's not, you know, when we when we're talking about abuse prevention, the the biggest, um, you know, irony that I see, and we'll get into some other ironies in a minute, because I love how you talk about, um, you know, feminism and how it relates to, to our parenting. But the irony is that we will say, you know, your body belongs to you. And then if you look at a full day of how many times we tell our kids what to do with their bodies, um, it really is such a contradiction that children, it isn't lost on them, you know, and it's, it's sort of this first part of the hypocrisy of parenting when we start to teach abuse prevention and we don't recognize all the ways that we're contradicting ourselves. So I love that you, um, you know, bring up those points because it is a huge parenting shift to recognize how we are um, 
really, you know, like you say, power over instead of power with. And when we start to break it down, I always tell parents the easiest uh, way that you can start to think about this is to journal on what your day looks like from the moment you wake up, like you said, you know, to the moment that they're back in bed at night. Where are those situations that you can give those options? And where are the situations where it is a health and safety and you have to override and, and how to communicate those things so that you're getting the, like you said, the buy-in um, and you're and, and it's not going to be perfect and nobody will do it right right away. Um, but this is an ongoing practice. And I think this is why uh, you know, parenting coaches like yourselves are so helpful in supporting, guiding, and, and helping parents navigate, you know, so um, I love that you have all of these, these resources and tools, like you said, like the freedoms model, I have your um, elements of respect poster, my son loves it. it, we have it actually right um, above where their guinea pig, um, they have a little guinea pig, or actually it's not, a, it's a hamster, <laughs> I keep calling it a guinea pig, but <laughs> their cage is there, so I know that the kids are always going to be hanging out there, and they have the ability to, to read the poster, and my oldest is always looking at it and he'll bring it up with the other kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's really powerful when when kids can see that. And, they, you know, like I said, you have these great resources and mini guides and there's just so much um, richness to the work that you do. It's not just like here's some tips and ideas, but some here's some actual frameworks, which I think is really powerful. Now, talk to me about uh, this is one thing that I really um, appreciated also uh, that I saw in your in your um, Instagram posts last year was you were talking about feminism and how we will tell our kids, you know, that they should use their voice and that, you know, um, their rights matter. And in all of these messages that we um, obviously want to support and and these values that we want to spread about you know, equal rights and feminism. And then we really don't practice that once again, you know, in our homes. Talk to me about some of that, because I really love the way that you express it and how you shared that, uh, you know, those messages in your post. I think it really wakes parents up to, oh, okay, (laughs) this is, that's so true. We're talking about it out in the world, but not in our home. Mm -hmm. So can you share some more about that? Yeah, the, you're alluding to the unconscious feminist hypocrisy, or it can yes. be unconscious, like progressive parent hypocrisy. You can mm-hmm. put in whatever you want, however you identify. Mm-hmm. There's a hypocrisy going on. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's something we recognized in ourselves, um, and and in our kind of um, kind of there's a pr- kind of progressive. Portland lady mom circle that we were part of a lot. And we would show up for these rallies and we would be raising money for human rights campaigns. And we would be, you know, talking about, um, me too, reproductive freedom and all of these things. And then we'd hear these conversations at these mixers and things where people are like, and then I had to hog tie my son and hold him down for a haircut. And we were like, say what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a real thing that we're all kind of, um, misaligned and we're all split from, from our ideals when it comes down to the practice of parenting in a huge way. And I think that, that we, of course, we have these ideals for our kids to be free, to, to speak out, to embrace their feelings, to advocate for their needs, right? But then that can be an incredible inconvenience to us at home. That can be incredibly scary to us at home. It can be really shaking. It can be worrisome. I think seeing seeing it happen in these kind of wild ways um, that our kids can can be showing and, and expressing those freedoms can be a little bit hard for us to endure. And I think we forget that we're planting the seeds and we're, we're practicing right now for who they can become and what they think they're entitled to um, in the future, right? I mean, everything we do with our kids, we're normalizing for them to experience and to do, right? Because mm-hmm. they learn by the way we teach. So if we're doing these things to them, they're learning to do and have those things done to themselves mm-hmm. in the future. And I think it's like Kelty said, it's really easy for us to think that we as parents are exempt from consent based practices right. in our culture that somehow we get a pass, a free pass that we don't actually have to do that because we're parents. We get to play the parent card. Um, but I think we can really easily forget that in that parent-child relationship, we are the man, we are the patriarchy, we are the, the power structure and that yeah. our power, we can be abusing very easily. And then we're, we're teaching that to our kids. So we always like to be, to talk about how we talk about big feelings and challenging behaviors, we talk about consent culture and shame-free parenting. And then we always say, 
but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that, and you mentioned this, Rosalia, that like so much shame can come up when we realize this. And I think that's happened with a lot of folks we work with and people in our community who are so honest and vulnerable um, saying, wow, like I feel terrible that I'm, I have been treating my child this way when not only does it feel hypocritical based on the beliefs and values I hold, but it's also just treating someone that I love in a way that, that, that they experienced very differently than what my intentions were. And so I always like to say too, that we're, we're giving grace to everybody. We're giving grace to our kids who maybe are struggling to practice consent culture as they're learning with their siblings or with us, right. And respect our own personal boundaries or their siblings boundaries or a friend's boundaries. And we're giving grace to ourselves too, as we're learning right alongside them, I think. Um, and, and kind of ebbing and flowing. And this is just, this is such a practice um, and an yeah. ongoing an ongoing process that we're engaging with. It's, it's not about perfection at all. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, just to be a hundred percent transparent, there are so many times that I revert back to, I mean, I, it was what, 18 years that I grew up with my, with my mom that, you know, I had these behaviors that were ingrained into me and it's taking, you know, I, my oldest is now 10, but I'm still, breaking stuff, breaking patterns rather, um, that, you know, they will rear their ugly heads from time to time when I'm really tired or I'm like short on time because I didn't plan well enough. And I recognize later, it's like, that was all on me because I didn't, you know, create enough space for whatever that activity was to happen. And I was the one who ran out of patience and I can stop and beat myself up about it, or I can recognize it, have self-awareness, give myself grace, and then do better. And and if necessary, apologize. You know, I think that that's also really important to let your kids know I'm human. I'm still learning. I'm recognizing these, you know, moments and, and having that um, honesty with our kids, I think is also really critical in creating these really beautiful communication channels with them to let them know that honesty is valuable. And I'm going to be just as honest as I am hoping that you will be through again, that modeling, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's important to, to have grace with ourselves for those reasons as well. And it, you know, this is how we grow and it can be uncomfortable at times, you know, to be honest, it's like, it was really hard for me to apologize to my child once. And I had to honestly like swallow my pride and recognize that this isn't about me trying to be the perfect parent or the right, you know, have, being right uh, was not going to serve anyone because I, I wasn't right, you know, in that moment. So I think that that's really important. And I love that you do bring that up often. You know, when I watch your Instagram lives, um, you always extend that grace to parents and especially w- with really young children. I think that those are some of the more challenging times as I think our kids get older, we have better, they have better communication skills and we have better communication skills if we've been practicing. Um, But for those parents who are really young, who have really young kids, um, I think that that can feel a lot harder, especially because you're just new to the parenting journey and and all of those things. And I love that you um, really speak to the younger uh, parents now, like to parents who have kids that are in infancy and, and toddler stages um, because those are the the areas that I think can be a little bit more challenging. And you have a new um, a new program now, uh, if I understand correctly, that is really geared towards that that younger uh, age group. Is that correct? We've got uh, yeah a course called Right from the Start, um, and it's it's for babies in their first year or so. And then we're going to be coming out with a bunch of small video module uh, courses for mostly around um, strong willed and sensitive kids, which I think. Uh, the majority of, and siblings as well, which I think the majority of our community can really relate to those struggles and, and, and noticing that um, when we're talking about consent, all of these areas in parenting where we would normally call it misbehavior or um, uh, resistance and all of these things are actually where our kids are just setting personal boundaries for the first time and mm-hmm. finding ways supporting people to look at kids' resistance. So either telling us no by saying, no, I refuse to do that, or showing us no by kicking things or hitting things or running away or ignoring. Those are all signs that whatever we're trying to do with our expectation as parents, it's our child is saying, I don't consent to that. I need more agency. I need more time. I need more connection. 
I need more mm-hmm. information. How do we, and then how do, you know, once we're aware of that, how do we actually work with our kids instead of do mm-hmm. to our kids? Yeah. And yeah. I love that you bring up the fact too, Rosalia, that none of us is supposed to know this stuff. Yeah. Like really, mm-hmm. I think that people are so relieved when we tell them you weren't supposed to know this. It's okay that you're finding this out now. Right. And yeah. I think this, this is how we evolve. Exactly. In the same way that we're trying to kind of empower our babies and our kids to be um, building awareness of what their needs are and working collaboratively with other people in their lives to get those needs met. We can be giving that same permission to parents. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. kind of working against that shame culture that says you should know this, you should be doing better. You, you should be looking up. better. You messed up. Now you're less worthy. Now you belong less. Mm-hmm. We can just evict that from our homes and our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that it's so great that you have um, an, a, a nice age range, you know, where parents can plug into because uh, I think for, for parents who have little kids, it is so challenging, but then you have older kids who have some more comprehension and maybe you know, someone stepped into their, into your content from a later part of their journey, but they can still, um, you know, take those resources and be able to implement them. So it's, it's great because I think we, it's great when we can start as young as possible. Um, but if you haven't, and you're listening to this and you're like, I, did I miss the boat? I no, you did not. You can definitely start wherever you are. Um, and you, where, what's the age range of your children now? Yeah, they're five to eight. But it's been so interesting. We do a small group coaching for uh, strong-willed and sensitive kids called our show up and grow up coaching, which is usually up to 10 or so parents once a week for four weeks in a row. And the the first uh, session we ever did, the age range was two to 13. And we were like, oh gosh, we did not expect this at all. We like Mm. our our probably average demographic have kids around five to seven. Mm -hmm. I would say is the Mm -hmm. average, like four to seven, seven, maybe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it yeah. was three to 13, like very evenly spread. And we were like, what is going to happen with this? And it was our best group that we've ever had, I think because of that age range. And it was really interesting hearing people connecting about how hearing, you know, I have a 12 year old and I'm hearing these issues or struggles with a two-year-old or five-year-old, and it's still informing my practice. It's making me think back to how I was doing it. And for those people with younger kids, this is making me think forward to, to the ways that I'd like to be interacting with my kid when they are older, when I can't move their body anymore more when they're, mm-hmm. they're throwing wild words instead of, you know, building blocks at me. Right. Yeah. So it's really interesting thinking how universal these consent-based practices really can be. If you kind of bust out of the, like, well, they're one now. So I engage with them this way. And then when they're four, I talk to them a little bit differently. And I, right. my approach is very different because they're, they're four and ager now. And then when they're eight, they have these responsibilities. And I'm going to treat them differently in this way. And it's just, it, none of that needs to it's happen. It's overwhelming. I mean, <laughs> I would be like, I yeah, no more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is why I love your work so much, because what I teach is here's the foundation of what consent based practices are about and why they're so fundamental to abuse prevention, because if you don't start with this foundation, then the abuse prevention is is not going to be as effective for various reasons, which I won't get into right now, but there has to be a solid understanding of children's uh, like children to know what their rights are and to come from a place of empowerment before they, we start talking about what I think parents feel is the scarier stuff, uh, you know, related to abuse prevention and how to teach about, you know, the things that they feel are scary, quote unquote scary, um, but they don't have to be. And if we start from this place of empowering our children with these really strong foundations, um, the rest actually can be a lot easier but I don't teach all of these pieces. I mean, I'm still learning a lot of those pieces myself. Like I know the foundations and that this is the overview and why it's important. And I can get into the nitty gritty of abuse prevention. But then when parents are like, I wanna start implementing all this consent education, they're asking me a myriad of questions and I end up directing them to accounts like yours because you're teaching all of those pieces. And I, this is why I love and you know how our work um, so beautifully intersects because you're ultimately helping kids become empowered, know um, how to use their voice and, and what their rights are, help parents really support that. And then when when they get into the abuse prevention um, pieces, it's a lot easier and it all fits together a lot more beautifully. And, and I think 
will make all of those practices a lot more effective in the long run. So, and, and just in general, they're just wonderful um, ways for us to learn how to relate to each other in the world as we get older and grow up, right? So, um, but one of the things that I wanted to also ask you about is, um, because I think this is really fun, the, the newest reels that you've been doing about how to respond to the adults that question our practices. I, I love how you have framed this. And for me, it's really important that we can respond with confidence to the people who question or push back or resist or you know don't want to um, buy in, but who are going to be participating in our kids' lives in one way or another. Can you talk about that as well? Because I think this is another sort of snag that parents uh, come across when they start to teach this and they're you know, met with old school mentalities or conventional mentalities um, that really challenge them and, and it makes parents kind of shrink back, but you've got some really great responses. Can you talk about that as well? Yeah, it's such a great topic. I, I feel like when, for a lot of us practicing this consent culture with our kids, we already have, you know, this little old white dude on our shoulder being like, that is so permissive. Mm-hmm. That is so ridiculous. <laughs> We're getting walked this, all over girl. This is taking forever, you know, like, and so mm-hmm. it's already in the back of our minds where we're, we're questioning, which is healthy to do, but it's hard to believe in taking the time and interacting with our kids in this respectful way, especially at first until we start seeing it, it, it pay off, which it really does very quickly with kids because they, they, they're born empowered. They're born self-advocates. We just have to mm-hmm. get out of their way and support them in it. Right. But I think that once we get out in the wild, you know, not only are we questioning ourselves, but other people are questioning the way we're parenting and challenging uh, all of these, these beliefs and practices that we hold. And it can be really destabilizing. And so I think that the the reason we did that series of reels, especially around the holidays, um, was to help empower parents to say, you can respond however you want. Your response to somebody challenging your practices or questioning you can literally just be in your head saying, I know why I'm doing this and this is the right thing. And I don't care. You know, it can, mm-hmm. you can be blowing people off in your mind or you can be approaching them and responding and and, and making a joke. It can be ignoring them. It can be redirecting them. It could be getting a little fight and, you know, throwing a little research in there, whatever is going to help you continue to stay empowered and stay the course with your child. So it's going to look different for everybody. Yeah. But it it is a big conflict of interest. I think, especially in those moments, you know, parenting in the wild at with the social pressure at the park even can be tricky, but you walk back into your childhood home and your own attachment figures can bring up all this trauma, just parenting in front of them. And you mm-hmm. think, oh my gosh, is it my kids' needs right now? Or should I be meeting my parents' needs through this mm-hmm. parent-child dynamic? And I think it it turns us into those, to the little kids that we were in a long, in a long, in a big way. And and it just makes it really tricky mm-hmm. to, like you said, Han, kind of stay that course when we're when we're feeling pulled mm-hmm. to yeah. change different, to do it the way that we were raised or to please our parents. Or mm-hmm. I think a lot of yeah. it too, that we talked about in the, in the captions of the reels was that, you know, most people's comments, whether that's our partner, a mother-in-law, a neighbor, a sister, a friend, most of their comments have nothing to do with us and really shouldn't be, be putting into question our um, abilities or our value or our choices, but it's really just about them and probably their own trauma. And I think that's something we alluded to in a lot of them was just putting it back on them and being like, wow, I'm so sorry. You never got away with that as a child. That must've been hard. And seeing the humanity of the person across from us who is really struggling to treat us with respect um, and an open mind because of their own experiences as a child and an adult, that they're actually uh, unable to do that. And that's actually kind of sad. It's not about Mm -hmm. us in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that that was something that, uh, I really respected about what you did, because I always say we have to understand that we're educating people as well. A lot of times they're, they just have never, even considered any of these approaches or, and because they're uneducated about it, they'll have uneducated responses about it. So like, don't take it personal and also, you know, recognize and have some compassion for the fact that, you know, like you said, they may not have had any of these abilities and it it could be a bit of a wound, you know, in in a sense. So I really loved that series and and it was also fun. It was well done, (laughs) well done um, in terms of, you know, how it was sort of played out. 
Um, and I think that that really helps parents um, recognize that, you know, it, it takes a little bit of confidence to do it. Um, in, in confidence in, in remembering that you're doing this for good reasons for your children um, and that it's, it's, not a, it's not really a, a lot of times about you, you know, it's, it's really about them. And I think when I talk about it with parents, because my model is 50-50, I always say 50% is educating our children about abuse prevention and 50% is educating the adults in our children's lives. And when we approach it from this place of educating others and not taking it personal, particularly with adults, um, we really can detach from the, the emotional response that we could have that, that could be triggered um, because we feel judged or we feel like it's, we're not going you know, the, what we're asking them um, is not going to be respected, you know, so I, I just, I think that that's a really important piece of this whole parenting, um, you know, respectful parenting approach is that we are going to be met with some of these um, responses in the world and that's okay. And getting support from parenting coaches, I think in that respect is also really key because we always just talk about like how we interact with our kids, but I think it's, you know, they're not being raised in a vacuum, right? So I think it's really great that you, um, you know, we're sharing those, those resources as well, those scripts in a sense um, for how parents can talk about it. Oh yeah. We're not beholden to anyone ultimately, but our child. And once we feel like we can really be supporting our child in a confident way, that's when we can branch out and connect with other people and educate other people, but we can't be educating other people if we don't feel confident in it, in what we're doing mm -hmm. with our kid already. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think it, a few great messages that we had were really about um, gratitude to just have that permission to just be like, oh, so you're thinking, yeah, that is the, the traditional way. Yeah. And just kind of talking to people who are challenging us in the same way, like we said, universally that our kids, that we talk to our kids when they challenge us or our partner. And the fact that we can approach anybody through this nonviolent, empathetic, um, boundary setting, still, mm -hmm. um, a conversation about, about anything. A, a lot of folks, uh, would reach out and say, well, what happens if let's say a stranger or a family member or a friend or someone kind of breaks consent with my child in a moment. I'm so horrified that that happened. I don't know. Do I tend to my child in the moment? Do I tend to this person and tell them what's what, how do I deal with this? And, you know, I would love your thoughts on this too, but I think that we would connect with our child and make sure they feel safe during or right after, or as soon as we're there and maybe and they've been yelled happened. at or grabbed by the arm or right. Or forced to do something that they didn't like. Um, and then I think so much of the work we can do with our children and with other folks is outside the moment with education in the moment when, when feelings are high and emotions are, are running high, you know, learning can't happen as easily. So finding those people outside the moment when we're calmer and connecting with them or sending them a text or sending them an email, whatever communication strategy works better for them to process what you're about to educate them about. Mm -hmm. And then with our kids circling back and saying, I think so, so often a lot of folks in our community who are really on this consent journey are like, they're ruined. They got screwed up based on that situation that happened. And there's so much that, you know, we can't underestimate the power of our influence and, and our connection to kind of recondition moments as best we can with our kids to help them process, to help build context, to help them express how they felt and what they wanted and what didn't happen to agree yeah. that moment and help them learn that journey of processing something unfortunate or traumatic or scary that happened to them. So, so much work can be done outside those moments too, for those of us who don't have the opportunity or who may be a little bit reticent to like challenge somebody or stand up for ourselves or our kids right in the moment. That's asking a lot of yeah. us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I do agree um, actually hundred percent with what you're saying. Uh, it, a lot of times, and most of the time it is going to be in that moment, really high tension and it's not going to be as processed as well as if we can circle back to those moments to, you know, talk about, you know, unpackage and, and process. And to that point, actually, I think that it's really um, a wonderful teaching opportunity for how kids can um, process those. And like you said, even to grieve that, that experience, because it's the, the likelihood of something happening in the world is pretty high, unfortunately, because we do still live in a rape culture and giving kids the, uh, the tools for how to move forward from that in terms of communicating back with us, 
us, you know, letting them know that they have a safe space, that we are, you know, talking to them about it and we want them to process and heal from that moment. Um, you know, and I think maybe someone will will think it's traumatic to say heal from it, but it's not because really that can be a traumatic experience when we've been raising them a certain way and then suddenly they get jolted by, you know, an experience that they weren't expecting and were maybe unprepared for, but it's an opportunity for us to guide them through it, let them know that, you know, they have a safe um, space to talk about it and how can we move forward? What can we learn from that? How can they um, use their voice or how can we use our voice in the future. And I've had situations like that where, you know, someone um, went in after, you know, they spoke to grandpa and said, we're doing it this way. And then grandpa still went in and gave the hug or still went in and tickled past the point of comfort. And then they were frozen with like, I don't know how to talk to them now. And these are opportunities for us to grow. You know, they aren't, they can be uncomfortable, but they're opportunities for us to grow and to help our children navigate those. So, I mean, I think that what the advice that you just shared was on point and, and it, it is important that we do follow up and that we have those conversations in whatever that format is. For me personally, I have a difficult time with conflict. So I write a lot, which is one of the reasons I came yeah. up with consent letters is it's easier for me to put it in, in words uh, digitally now, but, you know, whether that's printed and handed to someone or whatever that way is, um, as long as we're able to communicate it, I think it's really, um, a really powerful moment to grow and communicate in some, in a way that we may not have been able to before. So yeah. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think you bring up a, a strong topic of just the circle back, like you mentioned earlier, apologizing to our kids, which was not normalized for us necessarily, or just talking about hard things that happened. We, mm -hmm. most of us grew up in a culture of sweep it under the rug. Do not mention yeah. it again. If it, if it was a struggle for any of us to endure, just don't talk about it. We don't Even, talk about Bruno. No, don't talk about Bruno. Yeah. Right. And it, <laughs> right. Again, right. And so I think that right. it's, it's extra hard to put, um, that, uh, responsibility on ourselves, um, to connect back with our kids and unearth uncomfortable things that happen. And I love that you speak to the many different ways that we can do that. We can do a little mm -hmm. comic strip apology or circle back. We can write a note. If our kids can read, we can um, do symbolic play with dolls with a younger child where one of you is the parent and one of you is the kid and you reenact what happened and then have the parent apologize, right? There's, you can, do it when you're driving in the car. So you're both kind of facing forward. It's not too direct, especially great for sensitive kids, but mm -hmm. so much of the work that we're doing, um, you kind of spoke to the fact that we're on the ground in the trenches with the, the hardcore resistance, with getting stuff done with our kids, with moving through these big feelings and challenging behaviors. And, and how do we do that in the moment? And we can't always do it in the moment. We can't always yeah. be based. We can't always be respectful, but at the end of the day, we have the circle back the next day we have the circle back. We always yeah. have the chance to repair with our kids to, to like Hannah said, recondition, to replay something, to ask how they felt about it and hold space, basically to just make something sa feel safe that felt unsafe. Right, right. I love it. I can talk to you ladies all day about this stuff. I, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that this is, uh, this is why I love your work so much. And in my um, prepare to prevent program, which is my eight week program with parents on getting them set up for uh, daycare or preschool, get their kids uh, set up for safe experiences. I actually offer your resources, um, your links and, and your podcast to listen to some specific episodes actually. Um, because I, this is so helpful for them when they are starting to plug into the concept of consent parenting and what that actually looks like on the ground. So I will continue to share your praises and how can people find you who are listening to the podcast today um, so that they can, uh, you know, get your resources, connect with your programs, how, where, where should they connect with you first? Mm, thanks for sharing our work. First mm -hmm. of all, um, we love sharing your stuff as well. Um, especially in the, the abuse prevention side of thing, your consent letters, those are just amazing. We love sending folks, um, your way as well. You. Um, but, but, um, your community can find us at upbringing.co, uh, and that's our website where you can find our podcast and, um, our coaching, um, services and all of that kind of stuff. And our, our big community though, is on Instagram where we do live Q and A's and we have a lot of side-by-sides um, with helpful phrasing and mantras that, that can just help 
help us all clue into, okay, what are we doing again? Why are we doing this again? Also on our website, and we bring it up a lot on Instagram is our resist approach, which is kind of the the answer to our automatic control approach that we're trying not to use, which is so anti-consent with our kids. So the resist approach is kind of the antidote to that. Um, and so, uh, folks can download that for free as well on our website. And then I think we're offering a, our consent-based mini guide as well. Right. Kel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. you can get it free in our shop, uh, mm-hmm. with the code consent and yeah. we've got lots awesome. of print and other guides and stuff like that in the shop as well. Yeah. Perfect. And I'll link that, of course, all in the show notes. And just so uh, I just wanted to mention this also, because one of the uh, podcast episodes that I really love that I share often in my program is the one that you did with Akila Richards, um, because it my parents who are going through this program are about to embark in the educational system. And so it just gives them an, an opportunity to look at education in a different way and how these systems um, can be challenging when you when you first dive into them, especially if you're practicing consent and then you're going to go into the school system um, and how, you know, how that can really challenge parents. But I think that your uh, episode with Akila is so great. And, and that's another one that I always direct parents to. So I'm going to also link that in the show notes here. Um, for parents to check out. So Hannah and Kelsey, thank you so much for your time and for all the work that you're continuing to do. I love your Instagram content, always a fan. And uh, just thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. All right, listeners, I would love to hear what your takeaways were. Please uh, tag us on Instagram. Let us know that you heard it. What were your takeaways? What are you going to put into practice are you practicing any of this already? And what are some of your challenges? We would love to hear. We'd love to know what, what you took away from this. So make sure that you tag us and uh, we, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.